Well, good morning, Miles City. How are all of you? Uh, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to compare and contrast, but first service, uh, they did a lot better job of that. So good morning, Miles City. How are all of you? Second service, you've got no excuse. You've had the most time to be awake, so you should definitely be cheering louder. Uh, we are in our series perspective. We just started last week. Isn't it weird how sometimes when you look at something from a different angle or just a different point of view, you can sometimes see it in a totally different light, isn't it? Uh, have you guys ever noticed that about life, life in general? Nobody? I'm the only one. Okay, good. We're off to a great start, second service. Participate. First of all, I want to say welcome to all of you who have come to service today. Welcome to all of you who are joining us online. And a big hola to our uh, Mile City Espanol who is uh, meeting here and having the service translated into Spanish. I'm so glad that you're all here. But we're going to play a game, and that game's going to require participation. I'm sorry, second service. You've you got to get involved. I'm going to show you some pictures of some things. They're going to start at one angle, and they're going to move. And when you think you know what it is, I want you to shout out what it is. So... Again, I'm not compare and contrast, but first service, like, got these in, like, three seconds. So hopefully you guys can do just as good. So do we have our first picture? Shout it out when you think you know what it is. Not an airplane. Not a school bus. Not a truck. What was that? Helicopter. Nice job. Fantastic. All righty. We got another one for you. See if you can guess this one. <laughs> Feather? Eagle. eagle, yes, it's an eagle, fantastic. So this is my son over here who was here at first service. No more guessing, all right. Yeesh, I thought this was going to go smooth. All right, what do we see, folks? What do you think? Steak? It is a steak. Fantastic. I was honestly nervous when I saw it last night for the first time. I'm like, what's this going to turn into? But it was steak. It's fine. Perspective, okay? It's, a, it's an interesting thing. And just so we're all on the same page, let's go over the textbook definition of perspective. It's this. A particular attitude toward or a way of regarding something, a point of view. That point of view is vitally important. In fact, we're going to be going through the Gospel of John, and if you're not familiar with what a gospel is, a gospel is an account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And in the Bible, we have four gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the reason that we have four gospels is for this very reason, for perspective. Each one of the gospels was written to a specific audience with a specific point that it was trying to make. Matthew was a gospel that was written to the Jewish people. It came from a Jewish perspective. The reason Matthew wrote it was to show them that Jesus was the Messiah that they'd been waiting for. When you read through the book of Matthew, you see the phrase, so that it might be fulfilled over and over and over again, because he wanted to show his Jewish audience that Jesus was fulfilling the prophecies from the Old Testament. When we look at the book of Mark, it was written to a Roman audience. It's quick and fast and to the point. It's all about action. Mark wanted to show the Roman audience what Jesus accomplished. When we look at Luke, he was a doctor, and he was a Greek. So he wrote to a Greek audience, and he wrote with very precise language. He wanted to get across to them the point that Jesus was the perfect man. 
And you would understand this if you were Greek because the Greek philosophers were obsessed with this idea of the perfect man. So Luke wanted to show his audience how Jesus was that perfect man, full of love and compassion. And then we get to John. And John is very different from the other Gospels. We call those first three Gospels the synoptic Gospels because they're very similar to one another. But John is very different. In fact, 90% of the book of John is unique to the book of John. John didn't have a specific audience in mind, it seems, as he wrote. He was right into the entire world. And when it comes to the point that he was trying to make, we're fortunate, John actually recorded the exact reason why he wrote his gospel. It's in John chapter 20 where it says this, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wanted you to know who Jesus was, that he was the Son of God, and when you knew that, when you understood that, then you could have life. And that word life in the Greek is a word called zoe. And it's used with a specific meaning. It's talking about an eternal life, but more than just a life that goes on and on and on. It was a life of high quality. In other words, life as God intended it to be. That's the kind of life that John wanted you to experience, experience by knowing who Jesus was. This was the reason that he wrote his gospel. This is the perspective that he wrote from. Now, we talked last week about Jesus as the word. We talked about the person of the word, the power of the word, the purpose of the word. You can thank Barry for all that alliteration. Okay? But today we're going to look at Jesus as something different. We're going to take a different perspective, and we're going to see Jesus as the lamb. If you go to verse 29 in chapter 1, John utters this phrase. He says, behold the lamb of God. Behold. That's not a word that we use very much today. I mean, I don't use it. I don't know if you guys use it. If you use it, then just let me tell you as a friend, it's weird. It's, nobody's going to view that as normal. If you say behold, it's a conversation stopper, okay? Just don't say behold. But the idea, sometimes this word is translated as look in your Bibles. And it does mean look, but it meant more than just look. It meant look and consider, look and ponder, look and think deeply about. It required something of the listener. You weren't just looking. You were considering what you were looking at. So when John says, behold the Lamb of God, that's what we want to do today. We want to take a look at Jesus, but we want to do more than just look. We want to consider and think deeply about the Lamb and what he brings. But before we do that, let's just take a second before we dive into God's word and let's pray together for our time. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us through its pages, Lord, that we can learn who you are by reading it. And Lord, I pray that as we do today, we will be inspired, we will be challenged, and we will be motivated by the things we see here, Lord, that you would use the words of your word to minister to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you've got a Bible, you can go to John chapter 1, verse 14, which is where we're going to start. If you have uh, your little journal, get it out. Get ready to take notes because when God shows you things in scripture, it's a great habit to be writing them down. Because if you're like me, in the moment, I go, oh, that's really awesome. But sometimes when I read that two weeks, three weeks, a month later, it's even more impactful because I end up reading it just when I needed it. Lots of times God gives us stuff way in advance of when we need it. Sometimes when you're sitting here in this room, you hear something that sticks in your head and then a week later, you're like, oh, now I get it. Now I understand so be in the habit of writing those things down. 
And if you've got those journals, that's perfect. If you don't have one, we've got them available right outside, just like Barry said. Please grab one and make sure as we go through the rest of this series, you're taking notes as well. Behold the Lamb of God. Let's go to John chapter 1, verse 14, and it says this. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me. For his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So before we get started today, let me give you uh, some information. We are going to have a lot of Johns today, okay? This might get confusing. If you're keeping track, I'm John talking about John who's going to be talking about John. That's what's happening, okay? So we got two Johns that we're talking about. There's John the Apostle who wrote the gospel, and there's John the Baptist who we're going to see as one of the last of the Old Testament prophets and the forerunner of the Messiah. So we're going to have both of those Johns. So the first John, John the Apostle, is the one who wrote, I have seen his glory. And the reason that that's important is he's saying that Jesus, who was God, put on flesh and came here and dwelt among us. And I'm not writing you a secondhand account. I saw him face to face. John's telling you that he is an eyewitness of these events. It's not secondhand information, not something he heard from a friend. He didn't get it off YouTube. Okay. He saw Jesus. He saw him. And what did he see when he saw Jesus? He saw that he was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And why is that important? Because it shows us something about the Lamb of God. It shows us that the Lamb brings balance. The Lamb brings balance. What do you mean? What are you talking about, John? You see, before Jesus came on the scene, there was the law that John briefly mentioned. The law that was given to Moses. You guys know the law, right? You guys seen the Ten Commandments? Nobody's seen them. We talked about participation second service. Let's go. Ten commandments. How many of you guys have all kept the ten commandments? Don't raise your hand. You're on the elder board, man. (laughs) We couldn't do what God wanted. God gave us the ten commandments. He says, these are my expectations. These are the things that I need you to do. These are what what makes me happy. And we looked at the ten commandments and we said, awesome. And then what did we find as we tried to do them? We, fell, we came up short over and over and over again. The law was the truth, but it was only the truth. You guys ever been sick? Thought maybe you had a fever and you grab a thermometer, you put it in your mouth. What does the thermometer do? It says you got a fever. You can't then eat the thermometer and have it fix your fever, can you? The thermometer only has one job. It just tells you the truth. That's all it does. It doesn't do anything to fix your problem. And that's what the law was. The law said, hey, there's a barrier between you and God. There's an incrossable breach between you and God. But that's all it did. It just told us that we came up short. But the lamb brought the balance because the lamb brought the truth. But he also brought grace. And what is grace? Some of you guys may have heard the acronym that we use for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a good thing to remember. But grace is God's unmerited favor. On our own, we could do nothing to please God. We didn't have the ability to do it. 
So Jesus came to this earth and he went to the cross. And when he did, he took your sin and your shame and all the things that separated you from God, your death penalty. He took those things on that we had earned. He took them on himself, his self. He took them on himself. And then he gave us the only thing that he could earn, which was God's unmerited favor. And he gave that to us in place of our sin. And that is grace. Before we only had the truth and now we have the balance of grace and truth. We know what God wants, but now he's imparted to us the ability to please him when we never could before through the grace that Jesus Christ brought. We're told that the law could never make us perfect. It says that in Hebrews. It says the law never made anything perfect. But grace did something fantastic. Ephesians tells us what grace did. It says, by by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. The lamb brought balance, the truth along with grace, so that we could know where we stood with God, but also have the ability now to be restored into a relationship with him. Grace has saved us, the grace that the Lamb brought, the grace that Jesus brings. There's hope, because look, that verse in Hebrews, verse 719, it says, for the law never made anything perfect, but listen to how it finishes. But now we have confidence in a better hope, through which we draw near to God. We have the ability to have a relationship with God again because of the grace, the balance that Jesus Christ brought. Some of you may be in this room today and you say, that sounds good but you don't know me. You don't know the things that I've done. The the things that I've done that I knew were wrong and I did them anyway. The shame that I walk around with. You're right. I don't know. But I do know what verse 16 says. Let's read that verse again. For from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. The idea here is that this is an inexhaustible, never-ending flow of grace that Jesus brought with him. It's the idea of God serving you a slice of grace and as you take it into your hand, he's already cutting another piece to give you. This is the idea that John's trying to get across when he says grace upon grace. So if you're in this room today and you're walking around with guilt and shame and you think that you cannot be forgiven, God is saying, I have got plenty of grace for that. I have so much grace that not only can I cover the thing that you're ashamed of, I will bury it for you. That's the grace that God wants to give you. Grace upon grace. I love that verse. Because just like all of you, I know that I need grace upon grace. How many of you guys are pretty good people, you think? Don't raise your hand. Because then I'm just going to make fun of you. You've already seen that. But man, it's hard to make it through a week without needing God's grace. It's hard to make it through a day without needing God's grace. How many of you guys barely made it here this morning without needing God's grace, right? We need God's grace. It bridges that gap for us. And he has plenty of it, grace upon grace. Everything that you need, the lamb brought the balance, the truth and the grace. Let's continue in John. And it says... And this is the testimony of John. We're now talking about John the Baptist, no longer John the Apostle. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. 
He said, are you the prophet? He answered, no. You notice how John's answers are getting shorter and shorter here? That's a sign that you're irritating people, just so you know. For those of you who don't pick up on the social cues, if the answers get shorter, you're annoying them. All right. He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? And he said, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? This is what John says. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So let's talk about John the Baptist, okay? John the Baptist was, from the historical accounts we have, kind of a wild dude, okay? He wore fur, he had leather belt, he ate grasshoppers, uh, he was kind of unkempt and you know, had wild hair and a beard. Um, for some of you guys, you're probably thinking of an uncle of yours, but, you know, he was a, he was a crazy-looking dude. And he was out in the, by the Jordan River, and he was baptizing people and telling them that they needed to repent, because the Messiah was coming. And we don't know how that ministry started out, but by the time we see him here in the book of John and in the Gospels, it's saying that multitudes of people are coming out to hear him preach and to be baptized. So he's got lots of people coming out. And the reason that's important is because the the rulers in Jerusalem, they take notice of this. And they're like, what's going on out there? Who is this John guy? What is he telling people? And so they send some representatives from the temple to find out just who this guy is and to pepper him with questions. Who are you? What are you about? What's your deal? And there's a couple different ways you can respond to an event like that, right? You could blow these people off like, hey, they're not important to me. John could have done that. He could have made a big deal of himself. Like, hey, actually, I'm writing a book on how you can have a ministry just like mine for five easy payments. He could have done that. John could have been intimidated by these guys. I mean, these were guys from the temple. And they were coming out to find out what he was doing. He could have been scared of them. He could have said, I'll just tell them whatever they want to hear so that they'll get out of here. But John doesn't do any of those things. John answers their question, and he answers them with complete confidence, and at the same time with complete humility. This is a difficult tightrope to walk. Complete confidence and complete humility. And I think the reason that John was able to do that is because he knew who he was in relation to the lamb. And when you know the lamb, the lamb brings clarity. The lamb brings clarity. If we're honest in this room, some of us walk around, we have trouble with our identity. We don't know exactly why we're here or what we were meant to do or what our purpose in life is. And sometimes we wander around in doubt. There's so many competing voices about what we were meant to do, right? There's your friends, there's family, there's social media, there's television, and they're all telling you different things about what it takes to be successful, to matter, to mean something. And we can get caught up in that. But John was able to answer these questions with complete confidence. He knew exactly who he was. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And yet he had complete humility When compared to the Messiah, I'm not even worthy to unloose his sandal strap. And that meant something to the people of this time. Because to the people at this time, it was the job of the lowest servant in your house, when the guests came over, to remove their sandals and wash their feet. 
This was the absolute lowest rung on the totem pole. And the reason was because in these times, they're not walking around on paved roads, right? They're walking around in the dirt, in the mud. They're walking behind camels and donkeys and things that are leaving them little presents all over the place. They show up at your house and this servant has to go take off your shoes and wash your stinky, smelly, dirty feet. And John is saying, this Messiah is so far beyond me that I'm not even worthy to be his lowest servant. Talk about humility. And yet at the same time, completely confident in who he was. And I believe that's because he knew himself in light of the lamb. And the lamb brought clarity. Some of you are looking for clarity in your identity. You're trying to figure out who you are, what you were meant to do, what you were meant to be. When you look for the lamb and when you look at the lamb, that is when you will find out who you truly are. It's a difficult proposition, and I think lots of times we approach it backwards, and that's why we walk around in frustration. But Solomon had some great words of wisdom for us in Proverbs. He said this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. An author that I love, C.S. Lewis, had a great quote that I think sums this up really nicely. He said this, Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. I think a lot of us wander around doing things backwards. And what we continue to find is these things, hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin. We wander around depressed, anxious, because we're, not, we're looking for ourselves, but our true selves is going to be found when we look to the Lamb. When we understand ourselves in context of the Lamb. The Lamb is the one who brings clarity on who you are and who you were meant to be. You were created by Him for a reason. And He would love to share that with you. But He can only do that if you're willing to listen to Him. It's the Lamb that brings clarity. So John continues. What does he say? These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel." And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So this is John the Baptist's testimony to us about what he saw. Let's talk about John because John's dad was a priest. We're told that in some of the other Gospels. John's father was a priest. So he knew Judaism, the law, the religious system of that day better than anybody. His dad would have talked about him with that from the time he was a little boy. And in that system, there were sacrifices. Every year, you would bring a sacrifice to the temple. And you had, usually it was a lamb. And one lamb was good for one family, and it would cover their sins for that year. And then the next year, you'd come back and do it again. It was this never-ending cycle of constantly bringing a sacrifice for your sins. 
But John looks at Jesus and he says, behold the Lamb of God. This is God's sacrifice. A sacrifice that's worth more, it can cover more than just one family, more than one nation. It can cover the entire world. And it doesn't just cover sins, it takes them away. John was talking about something radically different than what they had experienced up to this point. This lamb, this sacrifice that he's talking about is something completely different than the system that they were used to. This was a lamb that covered the sins of the entire world, that took away the sins of the entire world, not just one family, not just one nation. And that's because this lamb, the lamb, brings freedom. This lamb brings freedom. This perfect sacrifice from God brings freedom that we never could have experienced before. The Bible's very clear. Because we have chosen to disobey God, because we have sinned, we've been separated from him. And we had no way of restoring that relationship. But Jesus came and sacrificed himself in our place. And because of that, now we can be brought back into a relationship with Jesus. That's explained to us in 2 Corinthians, exactly what took place. It said, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now, some of you in this room maybe haven't experienced that. Maybe you haven't taken God up on his offer. Maybe you haven't decided to let him be the Lord of your life. I want to give you that opportunity in just a moment to confess your sins to him and let him be your sacrifice. Let him be the bringer of your freedom. But I also want to point out something else because it caught my eye as I was reading these verses. And I think it's important to mention. As John was giving his testimony, he said, behold the Lamb of God. He said something kind of strange right after. He said, I myself did not know him. Why is that weird? Well, we're told in the other gospels that John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. John the Baptist absolutely knew Jesus. In fact, when Mary first found out that she was going to be the one to have the Messiah, she went and visited her cousin Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother. We know that these families were close. We're not told about their history growing up, but I have to imagine that they went to the temple together, that they were at each other's bar mitzvahs, that they experienced holidays together, John knew Jesus, but when he saw him in this light, he said, I myself did not know him. And I think some of you in this room may be experiencing that today. Maybe you've come to church for a long time. Maybe you came with your parents, they make you come. Maybe you came with your grandparents. Maybe you've been coming and you come every Sunday and you think a lot of things about Jesus. You think he's a good guy. You think he's a great teacher. You think he's a great example. But even though you know Jesus, you don't know him. You haven't made him the Lord of your life. You don't see him as John did when he looked at him here and he said, this is the son of God. That distinction is important. That perspective is important. This is why John wrote his gospel because he wanted you to understand that Jesus wasn't just a good teacher, that he wasn't just a great example that he wasn't just a good person, he was the son of God. And when you understand that, then it brings power to the balance that the lamb brings. It brings power to the freedom that the lamb brings. And it brings clarity to your life, 
because you will now know your purpose, what you were meant to be, what you were meant to do. I wanna give you the opportunity right now. If you know Jesus, but you haven't known him, you can know him now. If everybody that's here would bow their head and close their eyes, I wanna give you an opportunity to experience the things that the lamb brings. I want you to say this prayer with me. Lord, I confess my sins to you. I believe that you, Jesus, are the son of God. I thank you for dying in my place to pay the price for my sin. Thank you for rising again for me. I lower my pride. I surrender my life to you. And right now I receive you, Jesus, into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give it up for those who maybe put their faith in Christ for the first time today? If that was you, there's a couple things I would love for you to do. One is, we'll be right outside when the service is over. If you made that decision, come find somebody at the connect table or, or against the wall there and come and talk to us. Talk to us about the decision that you made. We would love to walk beside you. The other thing you can do is you can text the number that's on the screen here, 94,000. Write the word faith move in there and it will give you some prompts and somebody can, will get in contact with you and help walk alongside you as well. We don't want you to walk alone.